Dude, the uh, last week. (laughs) (laughs) Nuts. (laughs) We just got to take a breather, bro. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So what I want to do is, I mean, I want to talk about the Liver King stuff because I feel like if anyone should, it should be me and you. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I do want to dive into the process of making that video. Yeah. Um, Because I think it's a pretty compelling and interesting story. Um, so I guess we should just start by like, how did I get involved in this? How did you get me involved and what your process was on that? Yeah. So I had this idea for a video and my, I don't know, production quality, I guess, typically isn't what I would consider documentary-esque and having somebody on board who understands what goes into all that, how to frame a video in that way, how to break down the segments um, and just map it out in a way that was, uh, I don't know, the most captivating. I felt like I've seen your stuff before and it was very aligned with what I envisioned to be a good end product for something like this of this magnitude. So reached out to Zach, um, told him there was something pretty significant that I was trying to make edit etc but i didn't think that it was something aligned with necessarily my expertise from a creative standpoint so um asked zach if he would get involved and he was on board and that was yeah and like i think your typical the way that you typically make videos is kind of like record Mm -hmm. and then just go and then maybe edit it down so that you don't yeah say the same thing over again or it gets redundant with this one it took a substantial amount of preparation um, like, and, and I was actually excited to do that. I'm not actually that type of person to like lay out an outline, but, um, like you told me about it and I, w- I was obviously eager to jump on board, but I was mainly eager to jump on board because of my involvement with like charlatans in the past. And yeah, and it was also that you've done videos like specifically aligned with what the video would be about as well. Yeah. So it was just like a perfect double whammy, essentially. And like right away, like I think the next day I got in uh, going on the outline Mm -hmm. and then sent that back to you and you're like, fuck, cool, let's do this. Yeah. Uh, And then I wrote my part and then there was a big break and then like, you're like, trust me, I'm going to get to this thing. I'm like, okay, well, you know, whatever. And then when you finally did, you had like pages and pages of shit written out. And I was like, yeah. I was very impressed by that. And the amount of work that you had put in over like the course of two days, just writing and writing and writing and writing. Um, I think there's something to be said about scripting things out. Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of people when they are <clears throat> creators and they get into content, they can get some success without writing anything out or outlining, myself included. Uh, but after a while, once you kind of get used to writing things out, it becomes like one of the biggest advantages, I think. Do you think you're going to start doing more stuff like that going forward? Um, yeah, it seems like something I would like to explore more of for sure. I don't necessarily know that it's going to be commonplace, but it's definitely something that was completely absent previously. Yeah. And I would definitely like to be more, I don't know, trying that kind of stuff more in the future. I think... Um, when you and I had talked about this also with Alex, mm-hmm. our editor, uh, for this thing, he did an amazing job. Yeah. That shout out to crazy. Alex. Huge shout out to Alex. Um, but I think when you and I decided, you know, we were going to do this thing, like we knew it was going to be big. 
Yeah. But it was also like, I think we both had the agreement that we were going to come at this with a general perspective, right? It's yeah. it wasn't it. Obviously, the juicy story is the leaked emails, mm -hmm. okay? And that's where everyone wanted to go, and that's what everyone wanted to get. I feel like you could have just pressed record and just, like, read the emails. Yeah. And it would have been effective, but, like, this kind of puts you in a different level. Yeah. Right? Well, I felt it was necessary to convey, like, what even led to this kind of persona or the perception of what he's about and his intentions, et cetera. Um, felt necessary to do it the justice it deserved, so to speak. Yeah. And then now, like, we <laughs> we knew it was going to be big, but, like, just still to see how it exploded. No, like, it's like people who don't even know who we are talking about it. <laughs> Dude, that's still, like, multiple times, guys. Multiple times I, like, I was at the gym uh randomly and i overheard two guys talking about liver king and i was like oh you guys you guys saw the liver king video and they're like yeah 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 i saw the liver king video and i'm like oh yeah i i helped make that thing i was in it and they're like wait what thing <laughs> i was like yeah. the video they're like oh no no we just saw like a barstool post about mm. it yeah and they're like they had no idea and i was like do you know who derek from more plates more dates is and they're like no i don't I was like, what the fuck? Uh, so it took on a life of its own. Yeah. And then you and I were in the gym and some guy mentions Liver King because it's like it's kind of like in the cultural like speak mm -hmm. at this point. Mentions Liver King, doesn't know that you and I are like we were literally standing in front of him and he he like didn't even look up. He didn't even know that we had anything to do with it. That's crazy. It's, it's crazy. Like, has there ever been another video where you have provided not maybe not the source content, but like you've it's what you have has have said has gone off into like changing some sort of topic discussion oh uh, yeah i think a lot of the information i put out i put out has kind of like changed the discussion around certain hormone optimization practices and stuff like that but it never like a like a news context really yeah, I yeah like think. pop culture like i there's been articles written about some of the videos i've done here and there mm -hmm. or when i do podcasts with joe or dan bilzerian stemmed off a lot of different articles and stuff but um like nothing like this obviously yeah and i think like look so many people are going to be talking about uh the actual specifics of the liver king so i don't want to go into that like if you guys haven't seen the video watch the full thing um and then there's so much content on YouTube now, the secondary yeah. content. And one thing I will say, and you and I talked about this a lot, is the main takeaway that everyone thinks is like a smart takeaway or or like funny or cunning is like the, if you thought that he was ever on, or that he was natural, like you're an idiot, like yeah. th that type of take, which is obviously warranted. Uh, but those kind of people like were a, a lot of people were kind of just hanging in the weeds mm -hmm. and ex and I guess not just like allowing that behavior to exist, but they were or, or even condoning it. They were just kind of like, ah, that's the liver king. He's like the fun little heel, you know, it, it doesn't matter too much what he does. And then when this comes out, everyone starts to freak out a little bit. And then those same people who thought that it wasn't a big deal are now saying, your take or your the idea that you thought he was natural is stupid right or yeah. there, there's a lot of contrarian opinions which kind of happens on the internet but yeah i think no matter what some people will 
you know, not care. Some people care a lot. Some people think it was a necessary thing that he did. A lot of people think it was horrible what he did. Like, everyone has their own stance on it. Yeah. I don't know. What was your impression of the apology? Uh, I thought, well, like Chris put it really well, uh, that was his one chance, mm-hmm. you know? And I felt the same thing. It's like, what I really would have liked is to have him have this tone of voice. Oh, just like a normal human. Yeah. Hey, guys. Uh Everyone saw the news, and it is true. I was on steroids, and uh, I currently take a TRT dose. Um, I, I, got, I was over my head. Like, this thing took on a life of its own, and I figured that I had to make a decision at one point, and once I made that decision, I went full boat on that decision. Mm-hmm. Once I decided to not talk openly about steroid use and preach my message— uh, that was when I made the decision. So then every time after that people ask me, I was inclined to say no. Uh, I lost myself. I lost – I, I wasn't prepared for this, and it all came crashing down, and there's nobody's fault but my own. Bam. That could have – That could have <laughs> been pretty right? good. Was that pretty conve- yeah. compelling? Yeah. Like, But see, that – that's genuine. Yeah. I put myself in his shoes. And in that way, like if he genuinely feels like that, I and I and Rogan said this, we were just watching it in the break. Um, Rogan said, like, if he feels bad, like I genuinely feel bad for him. And because I know he does. You know he does. We all know that he feels bad for for what he did. Like, and I don't I'm not I would never see someone like in pain and be happy. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care not I don't care what they've done. That's not true. Um, but in this circumstance, like I do feel for him in that way. Just portray it. Just show it. Just show us that. Like he's still in his apology, still had the uh what what are the, some of his terms? Like he he like rattles off terms that kind of like rhyme with each other. Like uh this is my fight and uh I can't off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I know what you mean though. Yeah. And it was like I, I don't even mind if things are scripted really. Yeah. You know, I, I I don't even mind that. I just didn't think the, the leaning on supporting justification was really necessary and might have taken away from the overarching genuineness of the apology itself. I, I think um, somebody put this really well. I, I don't know who it was, but, you know, if he was partners with Paul Saladino... And who who is the carnivore MD, right? That's what he calls himself. And he was kind of like the founder of like this new wave of carnivore ideas. And he went on Dr. Phil. You actually did a video. That's how I found out about him when uh, he got lambasted on Dr. Phil. Oh, yeah. Um, it wasn't Dr. Phil. It was the doctors. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. And he just had a board of people shitting on him. Yeah, and like kudos to him knowing he's going to get decimated. Yeah, I thought he did great. On. I thought yeah. he did great, and and those doctors sounded just horrible. Yeah, I think yeah. he came out on the good side of that. For yeah, sure. and you know, I think maybe he said this. It was like, look, Brian, you're an incredibly hard worker. Your body's incredible. Like, find a way to put yourself out there. Yeah, and Brian's like, yeah, you know what? That is a good idea. Let me hire a team, and let me get in my peak physical shape. Um. Now there, that right there was the decision where he should have should have known that there was going to be some form of the audience that was going to say like, "Hey man, like you look incredible," um, or you know, to that's subjective, yeah. but 
you have like very you're very lean you're very massive like this has to be the result of androgens and mm-hmm. in that moment that's where he made that decision yeah yeah, uh, yeah the foresight on that was uh wildly miscalculated i guess but it's uh like it, it just feels like something that would have happened 15 20 years ago maybe that it's shocking that it's happening now it is the kind of thing you right. would see in like an old muscle tech ad or something. Yes, not, yes. Not now. Muscle tech. At dude. scale. It's just like wild that that is still happening at all. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I think I want to end the Liver King discussion, man. <laughs> For real. Like, yeah. you, you uh, I know your sleep has been horrible. My sleep has even been horrible. And it's not just from like the pressure, it's just like wanting to check, like, oh, wow, like BuzzFeed picked it up fucking some you know the the new york post picked it up it's just the constant like there's just an influx of news and stimuli around the situation and it leads to you know people messaging you or whatever and it's you just can't avoid it obviously and and we we talked about this last night like rogan's ability now oh unfathomable to just not look at shit so this i this has happened to me on a somewhat of a smaller scale when i started my youtube channel anyone who said anything negative i would respond and they would keep me up and i would it freak me out and the more views i got the more comments i got the less important they were to me and that's not to say that commenters are important and that they don't still get to me mm-hmm. it's just like there's not enough of me to respond like i'm yeah. already making the next video i'm already doing the next thing this for you is a different situation like you've never had this mm-hmm. rogan has had this dozens of times so yeah. i feel like if this kept happening to you you might be in, be able to do what he does the unfathomable yeah like, maybe. you know yeah the fact that he can not only not look at the negatives but also not look at the positives and like compare past performance or see what the views are or even judge any metric of anything really it doesn't seem like he cares that much as long as he has high quality guests he's getting good information out and he's like adhering to his ethics that's like all that matters yeah you can't control every bit of the internet mm-hmm. and and when things go sour you have to hope that they're going to go your way at some point without trying to put out the fire. And I know that that affects you. Uh, it affects me on a minor scale. It's just like you just have to grow past it. This is what happens when you scale content, scale your ideas, and scale yourself. Mm-hmm. More people talk about you, and that can lead to some negative things that could affect you. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on. I I, I want to – I'd be remiss if I didn't – Bring you into the world of weightlifting a little bit. Yeah. Because I don't know that you've ever really been involved in, in the world of weightlifting. And when I say weightlifting, I mean Olympic weightlifting. Um, and there's one, there's a couple guys in particular that I want to talk to you about. Have you heard of Lu Zhaojun? Yeah. Yeah. So he's like one of the most prevalent guys on the internet, probably him or Klokov or even Clarence Kennedy, mm-hmm. who's not even a competitor, but he's a good friend of mine as well. So you said you've heard of Lu Zhaojun, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's probably one of the more famous guys, but this is his, this is what he looks like, or what, this is what we know Lu Zhaozhen to look like. Mm-hmm. You said this was like 10 years ago or something? Yeah, but it's like kind of what his physique ends up looking like because he's hitting similar numbers, uh, or he hit similar numbers in Tokyo. So, uh, you can see, this is like, everyone loves him, he's jacked, he's one of the most prolific weightlifters currently. And then if we look at his Instagram... 
comparing oh, yeah. the back, right? A lot of people made videos about this stark, stark difference. I mean, you can see him, he's back squatting. I don't even know what weight uh, he's back squatting here. It's maybe not even 150 kilos. Like, look at how tiny he is. And then if we, we can go to, like, just a video of him when he was absolutely in peak shape, right? Just, like, jacked out of his tree. And that's a, that's a Derekism right there. <laughs> so, anyways, I, w- what I wanted to talk about is, like, I'll, I'll give you my thesis on it. Basically, what happens to a lot of people who are, like, very big weightlifters is they take a ton of time off after the Olympics. They kind of get the Olymp- post-Olympic blues. They take time off, and he took over a year off. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the pandemic in China has been pretty crazy. I, I heard this from somebody who lives there, and also you can see it on the news. So training and even just like getting adequate amount of food is tough. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not the same case for somebody with as high status as Lu Zhaozhen. Yeah. But drugs also become a factor in this. Yeah. And so I, what I want to know is like, what would be your take on this? Like, I would need to look way, d- way deeper to give like a cursory even assessment. Obviously, objectively, if some guy is losing a whole bunch of lean mass, but he's still involved enough to at least retain muscle like it doesn't take that much weekly volume to retain tissue if you're natural like so but if you, if you but what if you're taking gear you go off gear and then you want to retain that muscle it's probably a lot harder oh yeah for sure you can't do minimum effective well if you were just cruising on something it's super easy to hold tissue like way easier than a natural you can get away with not very much of anything yeah. realistically as far as training volume goes and um it's tough to say though without knowing, you know, the time frames, how much, what his weight was before and after, seeing actual shots in the exact same lighting and circumstances and whatnot, seeing how his lifts have gone up and down proportionally to where his physique looks at the time of looking smaller or bigger. So basically, like just to show you how prolific China is, this is the men's side. These are all the world records. Mm-hmm. You can see the Chinese men team, men's team really really dominates and then the women's team you can see it's just china 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 all the way through now of all of those world records we can hardly ever find a positive uh dope test Mm -hmm. and something you had mentioned on rogan last time not this time you're on rogan was the potential for a animal cholesterol based testosterone testosterone yeah it's like would would that be something that the Chinese would take, or uh, like how can how could it be possible to to be able to have this prolific of a weightlifting team um, and pass that many tests? I'm not going to conflate. Is it possible to be doing this with that's why they're successful? Right, but right. Synthesized testosterone in a lab from soy, like I'm, you can absolutely use animal grade t- cholesterol and derive it down the same way you would have. It's called steroidogenesis in your body is like how your body takes cholesterol and breaks it down through a bunch of different enzymatic processes down to the actual molecule testosterone and then have whatever amount of anabolism your body deems necessary to reach whatever functions that require is required of testosterone with um, the plant-derived uh, testosterone that is found commercially, like there is a carbon isotope ratio test that you would fail in general if you were going to be using synthesized testosterone in a lab however if you had a chemist working for you or you were looking to you know skirt around the system it's not even something that you can really pick up with current testing because you could otherwise fail a basic 
steroidal module where you have like a T to EPT ratio that is out of whack. You get a red right. flag. If you get subsequently iso carbon isotope ratio tested, you need to fail that to have a, like you have failed. You need to have like an affirmative test on the carbon isotope ratio. And if you pass that, then it's like, well, where do you go from there? Yeah. Are you going to prove that this, this cholesterol derived testosterone is mine versus from somewhere else? Like you need more intricate elaborate testing that I don't know to be developed yet. So uh, there also is like a half-life for the current typically used testosterone that can clear your system in a certain amount of time. Um, but then would a carbon isotope test be able to detect it even then? Or Well, you could get around the basic screenings of the steroidal module through manipulation of timing, dosage frequency, ester, if any, administration, uh, modality, you know, if you're going to do a intramuscular versus subcutaneous versus fucking IV, like who knows? Mm -hmm. It depends on how fast the drug is going to get into your blood and metabolized out. And then there are things people do to increase the metabolism of drugs and enhance that. Um, but the, the ester itself and the choice of it, like the studies I've seen, even using enanthate, which is a relatively long ester, like there are certain individuals that could pass basic uh, testosterone to epitestosterone ratio assessments with using like fairly significant doses of test based on just lackluster uh, scope of the test to be able to, because they have to have it insensitive enough that it doesn't false positive people, right? but also sensitive enough that it catches people. So you have like this weird middle ground they try to play and that's why they have the steroidal module to assess fluctuations. And if they see a weird fluctuation, even if it's within this more like vague range, they can kind of dial in a more narrow assessment of, okay, this looks weird for you, maybe not for the right. next guy. And that's just assuming that they're using drugs that would be, I mean, and by say them, it could be anyone in the world. Are there are there currently drugs available that, or or suspected to be available that could you could pass a WADA test with? There are a lot of drugs that just aren't on the list yet that are like again when it comes to designer drugs and the synthesis of them. Um, yeah, like oftentimes, as far as I know, WADA is looking at research pipelines to get ahead of ahead of things to make sure they have stuff on their list that could otherwise be ergogenic in some capacity even if it hasn't been approved by the fda for like a clinical application yet like they have a lot of research chemicals on their banned substance list but a lot of times there is you know analogs or things that are somewhat the same but not quite the same as this right. other drug and those have not made it to the list i mean it's i think a lot of people are going to see this the wrong way and me saying like the chinese are winning everything they must be on drugs it's like mm. well there's that's weightlifting so everyone's on drugs it's just mm. that they are notoriously never caught. Yeah. Right? And, like, so I hate, again, it's it's like it draws that parallel immediately. Like, <laughs> well, they got to be doing some sort of drug or some sort of – they could be outworking, and that's what a lot of people say. They're working harder. They're better. They're just better. Their system is better. That's true. I think their system is better. Their process is better. Everything is better. But there has to be some way for some guy to be getting popped. And – or, or to be getting popped or not getting popped. I guess I like to think that there's a lot of protection around their athletes. Mm -hmm. uh, in the well, you've done a good job of talking about some of the corruption and political yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's primarily what I'm interested in. But I think a lot of people, they conflate what I'm saying with 
America not on drug, everyone else on drug, uh, America good, everyone else bad. When when the only reason I know about American drug testing is because I was involved in the sport and I know so many people in that that are in at least for weightlifting, they're in the testing pool yeah. and it's rigorous and it's brutal. Mm-hmm. Like USADA wants to catch Americans where I can't say the same is happening in China or other countries. Like they're, they're not just like, like you saw, it's like USADA versus everyone. Yeah. Like it's tough to expect there to be the same level of scrutiny globally when you have to, it's not the detriment of an organization where they don't literally have stations within a country that's across the fucking planet. You know, like you have to outsource the guy who's going to randomly show up mm-hmm. and he has to be trustworthy within your organization, even if he doesn't belong to your organization. Like you might be hiring somebody that is endorsed by, you know, USADA, but isn't like literally, you don't have like USADA people parachuting into fucking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I guess like the internal drug testing mm-hmm. in other countries, like I don't know that it's up to standard with. USADA. And that yeah. is not to say, by the way, guys, I always have to disclaim these things because it's just like comment after comment it's going to pile in. That's not to say that there aren't drug users in America. Like this is factual. These things have been covered. There are plenty of drug users in America who have gotten around the system, who have been on the fit. Like USADA has been favored or the governing body, the NGB of whatever sport they're playing, they have been treated favorably. That's not what I'm saying. What I've realized in weightlifting specifically is that USADA wants to catch people, okay, within the United States. Is there an organization in China that wants to catch Chinese athletes before they even go out to to WADA? I can't say the same is true. And if there was, they would get those results and they'd be like, we'll just keep those on the down low for now. Um, But I guess, like, if you were to try – if you had a lab – Right. If you had a lab and you had a team of athletes that you wanted to pass drug tests, that you wanted to uh, just maximize as much performance as you could out of them, what would be your process? Uh, fuck. For like what sport? For like, weightlifting. weightlifting. Let's say weightlifting. Yeah. Like I would be looking for things that would enhance force production with a relative lack of increase in body weight. Like presumably there is like weight categories that we're trying to adhere to mm-hmm. and we are trying yep. to be mindful of that. Um, like it, it kind of depends on like, again, if the scrutiny is as exists within the banned substance list and like yes. what you can do. Let's say, let's say you're just, you got a team and you got a lab and you just get to work. And you got the, the the pharmacology. I would be looking for drugs that can really enhance, like, motor unit recruitment mainly. So mm-hmm. it would be, like, more on the neurological side than the trying to stack huge amounts of size on. And obviously a lot of that stuff is detectable. Um, off the top of my head, as far as, like, in versus out of competition testing, like, I'm more – I typically follow UFC more than Olympic testing. Okay. So sometimes I have to refresh myself on what the actual standards are. Mm-hmm. But, like, for example, even in – fighters you're allowed to use amphetamines for example out of competition all the way up until fight day essentially like there are certain things you could be doing from the neurological side that even just following the 
the outlines and stipulations given the leeways that exist within the organization, like maximizing those that you might not even know exist. Right. Yeah. The the amphetamines one exists across USADA and WADA, I believe. Okay. So you can use them out of competition. They can't be de- – even if you do use them out of competition and they're detected in competition, you can still get popped, I feel. But I feel like the the half life on those is hard or whatever. Sorry to interrupt. No, no. Worries. I guess I guess actually then, uh, with drug tests in mind, so it's like a, a two twofer, right? Like, what drugs would you take, and how would you get away with it, or or sorry, give take whatever. I just think it's an interesting thought experiment because like I think people need to know what they're up against. Let's say let's say for fighting, yeah, not like, weightlifting. Like in general, the biggest leeway right now is in the bioidentical compounds. So that's things that you would normally produce because it becomes very difficult to discern between what is supposed to be there versus not supposed to be there. So you get this massive leeway, not massive, but like far more substantial than you would with a synthetic drug that's never supposed to exist. Mm -hmm. So if you have like, if you're comparing Winstrel versus Test, it's like, is Winstrel ever supposed to be there in your body at any quantity, even a micro amount? No. So it's like, (laughs) Even if you have, like, a micro spec of it, you're going to get fucking pinged. So yeah. if you have tests, though, it's like, oh, well, I guess you fall within this cutoff, but do you have, like, a uh, UGT2B17 enzyme problem or, like, a deficiency whereby you can uh, metabolize drugs differently than the next guy or lack thereof? So you have a different T to EPT ratio. And then from there, you know, do we carbon isotope ratio test you or did you fall within our parameters that we didn't even follow up and try that because it was out of our budget? Because we're not going to do that with every athlete. Right. So, like, in general, I think the bioidenticals have the most leeway and is probably what is uh, the lowest hanging fruit if I was to identify something. What is the most advantageous drug to take for a fighter without uh, worrying about drug testing? Like, again, it depends. Are you a guy who requires endurance like, or are you somebody would who you requires power up? Like, it's very like, Would you say, like, person- EPO or? No, it's person specific. Okay. So it's like if you're a heavyweight fighter who gasses out in round one, yep. is your biggest bang for the buck going to be using copious amounts of fucking DECA? Like, obviously not. Like, it wouldn't right. really make sense. It might make more sense to be using EPO and trying to get around the tests and try and enhance oxygen carrying capacity so you can actually make it to round three sort yeah. of thing. Like, stuff like that is more, like, f- person-specific than... Right. And, like, maybe for Olympic lifting, it's different because it's, like, one max effort thing. Right. And everyone's doing the same shit. And yes. everyone has to just achieve the same outcome in the same way, so to speak, with, like, more minor differences between what the... Like, it's not like you have a guy who's endurance deficient in Olympic lifting versus in UFC kind of thing. There are more variables and more yeah. room to be good at one thing and good at a, yeah. like bad at another thing, whereas weightlifting is just kind of all. Like some, hypothetically, let's just say you took a shit ton of steroids and you're a fighter, maybe you push yourself into a weight category you didn't even want to get into, and you're sapping up more oxygen-carrying capacity through the support of this tissue that is not even advantageous for your fighting skills. So it's like in that in that context, maybe I'm looking towards drugs that enhance skill acquisition or recovery time so I can get in the gym and do more reps, but not necessarily increase my body weight or increase my endurance or whatever it is. Enhance my sleep. Like, who knows? And then do do you feel like a lot of these countries or places that would be able to create the protocol necessary, do they have labs that could like make sure that their athletes aren't gonna piss positive? 
Or is uh, that too expensive? Or what's the possibility behind that? I would say the fact that I was able to get Matt Does Fitness drug tested and he doesn't even compete like I imagine. <laughs> At a high level, you're very much able to get... Like, I know I've 100%, I'm not going to say, like, too specific, but people I know of have had, like, backdoor access to WADA-accredited labs to be able to test the people they work with as opposed to, you know, just trying to do guesswork. Like, you would be right. able to cross-reference... Okay, would this guy pop before he even gets tested kind of thing? Well, that was the big thing with Icarus. And you can and also get blood work easily. Like you yeah, you have blood get, work. Yeah. yeah, and some of the stuff is more some of the stuff is more dictated by blood work because again, when you were looking at like an EPO doping case, you were typically only going to get tested for EPO if you pop or you have a red flag on your biological passport for your like actual RBC numbers, hemoglobin, hematocrit, reticulocytes, et cetera, having your, um, what's it called? Like your uh, your CBC panel essentially is looking awry or looks fucked up. Then they go and look for metabolites. Yeah, and then, and then at that point, you would get actually assessed for the drug. Right. And recombinant EPO, is that in your system? And we're going to allocate more budget towards that. But yeah. they're not going to like proactively do that necessarily. They would look for the red flag and then subsequently do the more expensive, rigorous testing. So sometimes even basic blood work is going to hedge against some of this stuff, yeah. which everyone has access to. So uh, are you aware of the Bulgarian weightlifting team at all, like of the past? Um, not really. Have you heard? Have you? If I saw it, maybe. Have well, like, have you heard of like Bulgarian training? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So basically, there was there was uh, a very infamous, if you will, coach. His name is uh, Ivan Abijayev. And uh, he basically created this system that was the hardest weightlifting system possible. Mm -hmm. Eight hours a day. You max out three to four times a day. Sometimes they were maxing out, like I've heard, six to nine times a day. Jesus. You, What they do is they have a session. The session, I think, is like two and a half to three hours long. And they work up to maximal lifts, and then they rest 30 minutes. Work up to maximal lifts, rest 30 minutes, work up to maximal lifts. And then they, that's session one. Mm -hmm. And then they do that three times a day. And they have Sundays off. I, I could be a little bit off on that, but that's it. And it's snatch, clean and jerk, front squat usually. Sometimes they pull. Um, Max Ada, who was like one of my mentors in the past, he actually went and trained with Abhijayev. Um, because he just wanted to to do it. Abhijayev mm -hmm. was in America. Yeah. He tried to like recreate that here in the States, and it just did not work out, mainly because the drug use was – it's a different game yeah. now than it was in the 70s. And um, there is a story here from a guy who uh, was a weightlifter on the 1970s uh, Bulgarian team. That is absolutely crazy, and I want to read it to you. Um, I actually also want to show you a big documentary called School of Champions. Yeah, so you can see it's like this old school 70s training yeah. thing. And it's like this documentary. And over it, here's Abhijayev. That's the coach. And you just see these guys getting hammered by him, like absolutely destroyed. And then he sits there. Like you see so many missed lifts in this documentary. And then you see him kind of like scolding them. And then and then there's a bunch of parts where like they're just sitting down and talking. Like he's just 
uh, preaching to them. Mm-hmm. It's very strange, man. Like, basically, he just created this system where he's going to beat the shit out of these guys all day, every day. And then when they get to competition, things are going to be easier. So this is um, an excerpt from one of those guys. Uh, his name was Valentin Hristov. And I think there's a, an old, a younger Valentin Hristov, but this one's from the 70s. So at 15 years old, he snatched 130 and clean and jerked 160. It's very, very good. Uh, and then that's what he was selected. That's when Abijayev said, okay, I'm going to work with you now. So then Abijayev killed him, just just murdered him with t- typical Bulgarian training. At 18 years old, he did 162 and a half and 200, which is very good for a natural 18-year-old. Like yep. that's very solid That uh, at 100 kilos body weight. And he, he maintains that he never uh, – he was completely clean up to that point. Um. Which is which is crazy. If that's true, that's that's very very good. That's like elite. Um, there have been Americans. There have been other people that have been do, that have done that at 18 years old. So it's not unheard of. Mm-hmm. There are people who I believe are natural that have done that. But this is when Abijayev said, "All right, let's take drugs. We want you to be at 110 kilos body weight in two months for the Euro- European Championships." Um, in Verona. I don't know where Verona is. Do you know uh, Italy? I don't Verona want to guess. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Shit. I'm going to look like an idiot. So anyways, uh, blah, blah, blah. With his first use of steroids and much stuffing at the training table, Ristoff managed to quickly boost his weight and weighed at Verona at 108.2 kilos. Uh, and he... Snatched 165 and a half and clean and jerked two. 20. Jesus. That was two months after he did this. 162 and a half and 200. Damn. So two months later. Yeah. Okay. Then uh, people started to get scared of doping in like the, the mid 70s. They were like, okay, we got to like ease up a little bit. He decided to take, uh, he decided to go to a competition 70 days clean or, or some, some crazy, like he decided to stop taking drugs mm-hmm. and he lifted horribly, horribly. So then he made the decision for the Olympics coming up in Montreal, like, let's fucking go hard. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's the fucking protocol. You ready for this shit? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Abijayev was giving each lifter 180 Dianabol tablets of five milligrams per week. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday were 40-pill days, and Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday were 20-pill days. They were also being injected with the steroid Ritabolil. What's that? What's Ritabolil? It's probably maybe a brand name for the— I think it's got to be Deca, right? Put it in Wikipedia. It'll pop up what the actual compound is probably. Ritabolil. Andrelon Decanoate? Yeah, Deca. Okay, so it's like uh, just like a branded version of it, of Nandrolon. Okay. So. Uh, Deca D-Ball, classic. Yeah, Deca D. <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll talk about the dosage in a second. Um, Ristov notes that his urine started turning brown and hey. he was uh, f- uh, passing out often during training. Uh, he started seeing stars. Um, <laughs> so. They're even more scared before they go to Montreal now. Yeah. They're like, we don't want to get popped. So everyone starts to taper off the drug use. Montreal also goes, starts going horribly. He hasn't showed up yet. 
Yeah. The lightweights go, then the heavyweights go. They usually when you go to to, to Olympic, uh, like training centers or, or like to train for the Olympics or train for Worlds, you get there like two three weeks before to like get ready, and they they train really hard, dude. The training halls at these places are amazing mm-hmm. because they go fucking hard. Um, and it was going horribly. The lightweights are doing bad. So in typical Abijayev uh, fashion. He brings the team together, and it's another one of his fucking speeches, yeah. like you see in the in the documentary. And he's like, uh, "Look, I had to start giving you guys steroids because this is what the Russians did to be successful. It is impossible to not be successful in this sport without steroids. However, the Russians have access to amphetamines that we don't have access to, hmm. so it sucks for us." Um. Let me introduce you guys to the magician. <laughs> okay. Did it say the decadose or just the Debo dose? I don't know what the decadose is. I gotta find I I maybe I'll be able to find it. So um those lifters who had not yet competed would go back on the steroid use, but with the aid of the magician and his catheter. Mm. He would empty their bladder. They would empty their bladders before being tested and have it replaced with clean urine by the magician before they had to submit a sample. They said they were going to select one athlete from your team and they were going to test you two days out from competition. Or they, no, they, they said they were going to select you and you were going to piss on competition day or something like that. Mm-hmm. Christoph was the guy selected. That's why this story is amazing because this is from his account and he like, ultimately is incredibly depressed. I think he probably passed away now, but he's like not happy about how this whole shit went down. Yeah. Um, his hormones are probably all over the fucking place for dude. They said he was, he had like a boil on his knee. He was stressed. He's, he's like, his brain started changing, like his chemistry. He was turning into a different human being. Mm -hmm. Um, so he said he was selected and he opted for the catheter. Instead of dropping out, he said, Christ, was this what I banged away so hard for, for almost six years and for eight hours a day? Abijayev gave him then, <laughs> once he decided he was going to do the, the catheter, Abijayev gave him 200 tablets of five milligrams each for July 24th and July 25th. Another 150 pills for the 26th, the day of his competition. Oh my God, dude. Yeah. So, so then. He wins his gold medal. He goes home. He gets a new Volga automobile, like, uh, upon returning. And then he gets a notification, you know, I don't know how they figure out, but we found trace amounts of steroids in your urine. It wasn't clean, fully mm. clean piss, or it wasn't able to, uh, to, to like, you couldn't get all of your piss out yeah. of your bladder. It's not possible, I guess. Yeah. But what do you think of that whole story, dude? This is the Bulgarian team. Like, this is why I want to bring it up because this shit, like, no one's. I want to like pull out a calculator and even see what that was. Yeah, it's yeah. Mind blowing. Let's let's go over the numbers here. Let's see. So you said two hundred. So like the initial dose to like absolutely go fucking crazy leading up to the Olympics was one hundred and eighty Dianabol pills at five milligrams. Right, so 900 milligrams per week, right? Yep. How is that? What's that? Over 128.57 milligrams per day if you were taking it evenly, but I know they like... They staggered up yeah. and down. They did... Fish. Yeah, that's like... Is that huge? Yeah, that's huge. <laughs> like, tell me how... He, like, what's the... Like, for context, 
to get pretty good results, you would take something like 20 to 30 milligrams. And then at most, you might take like 40 to 50 per day. Per day. And, and that would take, be like. And they were taking what? 128 per day. <laughs> Well, on some days, probably like 200 and then some days a bit, but yeah, overall. Okay. So then after having, (laughs) so he had to taper off longer because he's a heavyweight. That's an example of just like, like, again, obviously I wouldn't expect somebody in the seventies to be educated. Like there was no information. But it's also, that's Abijay of the guy. Like his training matches his fucking drug use. But the interesting thing though, is when you're looking at the dose clinically for muscle wasting or what it's actually prescribed for at that time. It's kind of, I'm just wondering what the justification is to be like, you know what? They're prescribing five milligrams or two and a half to five milligrams for, I think it was used for HRT for a while, Dianabol. In men, it was like two and a half milligrams or something would be like therapeutic TRT. Mm-hmm. So let's, you know, fucking 10 exit essentially or 100 exit. So if this, this will maybe make it make, make more sense, Max, Ada, you know, like I said, my mentor who trained with Abhijayev in the States. He was saying, like, you know what? Let me just explain to you uh, what the Bulgarian system is. There's a door right there. What we're going to do is we're going to bash our fucking head against the wall until it opens up instead of taking the door. Jesus. Like, this is what we do. I don't care. Yeah. We're going to sacrifice everything, our lives. This is us. Eight hours a day training, six days a week for six, eight years. Right? And and you can watch this documentary, man. Like, just wa- sit down and watch it one day, and you'll be like, none of this looks fun. <laughs> yeah. There's not oh, one imagine. smile in the yeah. entire thing. They're all just, like, <sighs> like dying. Mm-hmm. And he's feeding them copious amounts of drugs. So I think the drug use goes in line with yeah. the system. Right? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's, like, uh, full board kitchen sink. Well, I don't know how much works, so let's just 10x the dose. And then, okay, so like I said, he had to taper off. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many days out. I think it was like 20 days out. Whereas the lighter guys only had to taper off like 13 days out. I don't know what their calculations were. They they had all these like crazy like doctors running around and shit. It was kind, yeah. it's kind of cool actually. Like, <laughs> there's all these characters and stuff. And um, when, he, when they realized, hey, we're doing horribly, like we got to do something here. Yeah. We're going to do the catheter trick. When they said that, they're like, okay, well, quickly, we got to jack you back up with all fucking Diana Ball. We can't. So he gives him, and probably might want to bring out the calculator again. For each day, what do we have here? Um, 200 tablets of five milligrams for the 24th and the 25th. So 1,000 milligrams. He said, yep. he said 200. So 200 times five for each day. Yeah, so three days, you said? And then 150 on the third day. Right. So 1,000, 1,000, and then what's 150 times 5? 750. Yeah. 1,000, 1,000, 750 in three days. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's fucking way overkill. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. That's absurd. It's, yeah. it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. For and- context, if you took even like... 40, 50 milligrams the animal. I'm sure the people watching can attest to the ruthless lower back pumps, the uh, water retention, high blood pressure changes. Like once you get to this, like 50 milligrams plus, you're just like Michelin man territory. If you're eating 
enough food to be conducive to like growing huge amounts of size and getting as strong as fuck. And it's just like so much waterlogged. Like you literally turn into the Michelin man. And after doing a set of even the worst blast I ever did that was just irresponsible uh, with Deca D ball involved, I, I firmly remember having to like go sit in a massage chair in the gym be, after just like a couple sets of deadlifts because your lower back is just like so fucking pumped. You can't even stand. You're like lying on a bench, hyperextending your back. Trying to relax. Yeah, like it's hard to describe like even what it feels like. It's not like your kidneys are being damaged really. It's just like you have this, this uh, I don't know. It's just like this taxation of your lower back and it just feels like pumped. And then it's just like unbearable. And you have to just go lie down until it goes away. There's got to be like a moment for like drug use where you feel like I, I can't even be a human being. Yeah. Anymore, like how, like if I can't walk around or even lay down comfortably. Like, no, it's like when you, if you took trend and you get trend cough, it's like the most, like you trend know, cough? You, huh? What's trend cough? You never heard of trend cough? No. It's when you inject typically trend blown acetate. If some people don't get it, some people get it. A lot of people get it, and occasionally you will have like a, um, a reaction. People think it's like a prostaglandin reaction, whereby your body essentially is trying to like reject the drug by coughing vigorously and you just end up injecting it. You feel it coming on and all you can do is really like brace yourself and then you start hacking up a lung for about a few minutes. Whoa. Yeah. And there's no, there's no moment more, uh, I don't know, like, uh, regretful. Yeah. Where it's like, for example, if you watch some fucked up porn and you busted a nut yeah. right after you feel like shame, like, oh, God like, what am I doing? I'm disgusting. Yeah. Like I'm a fucking terrible person. Yeah. Like, trend cough. Yeah. What is am I the doing? Post not clarity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> post trend clarity. Yeah. You're just like bracing the sink, knowing you're about to get fucked up by some cough that you self-induced by your hormone use, and you're like, God damn it! And yeah. You're just looking at yourself in shame as you hack up a lung. And Dude. Yeah. It's uh, it's rough. It's rough. Jesus Christ. Okay. So yeah, I just I I needed to throw that at you. So now you have something to talk about, like, cause. The when I tell you and and like we'll look back at um, I just want to show you like to kind of come full circle with this. If we look at uh, so there's like different eras of weightlifting um, because they've jumbled the weight classes around. And if we look at the 1972 to 1992, that's where you see Bulgaria. Bulgaria, Bulgaria. See. Just all the way across the board, just fucking Bulgarian, and then obviously Soviet Union as well. That's it. That's you know that's what what it led to, and a lot of these numbers are like never going to be surpassed ever. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh. All right. Something I wanted to like get into, I guess, was the natty or nots, mm-hmm. and if you. Do you feel like they were taken the wrong way or do you feel like it lessened your uh, like educational knowledge? Because I think people – there's a decent amount of pushback against the natty or not thing because the algorithm took it and ran with it. And now you have people just going natty or not, natty or not, natty or not. It's like overarchingly, obviously the response is like majorly positive or else no one would keep doing them. Mm-hmm. So it's just a feedback loop of – positivity ultimately that leads to these continuing but yeah they're 
often it depends on what you were talking about though because sometimes it could be based on actual science or based on research or based on a lot of times those speculation eye tests you know does a guy look saucy is delts capped enough is his traps like disproportionately yeah. jacked you know that kind of stuff it's it, it's very much subjective as to is this your preference of content versus not? And if it gets littered into what you otherwise thought was, you know, a, just a educational platform, or even if you had a, like, oftentimes if you get used to certain content as you've experienced yourself, your OG content does not always reflect what your current content will. And as you transition to new things and you expand your horizons and you do things that you're getting positive feedback on, sometimes the original content will be more diluted among the other stuff. And, um... I don't know, like as far as what I think about them in general. I, I feel like I feel like the term natty or not is just a title. Yeah. It's just a click, something for people to click. It's like a category in you, itself. You play yeah. the game, I play the game of finding a title that audiences will click. Mm-hmm. It's copy. It's like the biggest part of YouTube Yeah, that, that people just don't think about is thumbnail title. And your approach to natty or not is how can I – display my understanding of this of education like that that i know about these exogenous hormones well here's a great example of it like you're just delivering examples of things that you know about and you want to talk about yeah i try to be as informative as i can in those kinds of videos even though a lot of them are on the surface just like like a lot of people will just see a, a clickbait title or a thumbnail and then just assume it's a nonsense video that's just about mind-numbing, you know, look at this picture, and now look at this picture, and now look at this picture. They're both pretty juicy, right? What about this one? And it's just like, I'm guilty of that. <laughs> I am, and I know who but you're talking about. like that shit. So, right, right. You right, know, right, like, yeah. what are you supposed to not make the content? Right. Know. Yeah, so I try to be as educational as I can, as frequently as I can, but... um. You know, there is, after you start to grow too, you have different subsects of your subscribership that want certain videos. Like sometimes I'll do, it'll be months before I make a video on hair loss prevention. And then people are like, I don't give a fuck about any of the other shit you talk about. Go make a hair loss video. Uh, you know? Because it's like at one time, it might've been a big chunk of your content and yeah. now disproportionately it's less. So Yeah, I, th- I think this is uh, something I learned when I started YouTube. Someone said to me, what's your expertise? Because I was just making videos and they were shitty. Like I and I sent it. It was like CrossFit training vlogs. Okay. And someone was like, "Yeah, this is all cool editing and stuff." But like, well, why would I care about this? You have no goal that you've displayed for me or any of that shit. Like, the final thing they said was, "What's your expertise?" And I said, "Oh fuck, I can help people snatch and clean and jerk more weight." Mm-hmm. There's a big subsect of people who want to do that, and there's a a a, a resounding. There's a big hole that I can fill with information on how to do that effectively and give people tangible steps. And I feel like that's an approach that you've had. Like there's a, there's a big gap of Mm -hmm. exogenous hormone education to the masses and even so in doctors and that, and you've talked about this with, with Merrick health and, and trying to develop something that educates people more. Do you feel like that's the process that you ultimately wanted to go down? Yeah, like ultimately I feel like there needs to be more education about endocrinology, how hormones work, how it impacts your biology because like even at like 15, four, like really young ages, girls are getting thrown on essentially what is shitty HRT basically. 
for years. And it's like understanding how that impacts your physiology is very worthwhile because it's literally so impactful on everything in your life, essentially. So how strange is it that we talk about TRT in such a way or we talk about use of exogenous hormones in such a way, but because the medical, uh, the scale of use of um, birth control, nobody talks about how incredibly impactful progesterone or estrogen blockers, or it would be estrogen blockers, whatever, the main (laughs) things that are given to girls at like 13, 14 years old, like we don't talk about that at all. We're just messing with their hormones immediately. Yeah. And even if they were, even the, you know, attempts at making male birth control, they're all derived from like DECA, for example. Like it's not literally DECA, like nandrolone decanoate, but it is nandrolone is often the parent compound that is then chemically manipulated to create like levonorgestrel is one of the most popular progestins used in women's birth control. Very suppressive at even small dosages and orally bioavailable enough to work. And in men, you know, the attempts at creating male birth control modalities involve similar things. They'll be looking at synthetic progestins that are derived from nandrolone or analogs of that to then create what is basically something that shuts you down so significantly that you have azoospermia when you have, like, no viable sperm at all. And it's basically, like, a shitty version of taking gear. (laughs) Yeah. Like, because you don't get any of the benefits. You just get, like, shut down, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is, yeah, it's just something that, that people just bought into like it was not a big deal. I never had any concern. For, obviously, I'm a, not a woman. Yeah. But I was just like, are you on birth control? It would be like getting with a chick. Are you on yeah. birth control or not? Like, I don't care. It doesn't, like, it's just like a pill that you take. It's magic. There's no effects. There's no side effects. Like, it's yeah. been proven. It's been used over and over again, and yet no one considers the fact that it's no, fucking. most people's <laughs> girlfriends are not natty, bro. oh god okay um do you think that the truthfulness the potential truthfulness of people in their steroid use if someone's successful would uh cause more people mainly kids or or like young adults to want to take steroids they might equate Mm -hmm. here's my hero he's open about taking steroids and even though he does give me plenty of disclaimers, like I went through this first, I can therefore do what he does if he or she does by by taking these drugs. Yeah, that's a tough kind of – it's a hard, nuanced discussion because it's like, yeah, you could definitely argue that if some guy has a very, very admirable – Ask something you aspire to be from a physique context, and he says, yeah, the reason I look like this is because of gear, but, like, don't do it. You know, if you're following that guy because he inspires you, like, there's potentially some realm of encouragement, even subtly, subconsciously maybe, or unspokenly, that might be happening for you to be like, oh, to gain this level of success or notoriety or influence in social media. Like, there's definitely a push in social media more recently to take gear at absurdly young ages because it seems like, like, frankly, in the fitness industry, the personalities are typically pretty shit. Like, let's be honest. Most people are, you know, more focused on how do I get fucking shredded, look sick on camera, rather than information, entertainment through means other than just, like, lifting stuff. Mm -hmm. Which, whatever. Like, you can do whatever you want. Like, both are valuable mediums. But when you have so many people hyper-focused on 
the physique is the thing I'm going to hammer on because that's the only, like what I can wrap my head around or I don't think I'd be successful in this other vector or whatever. A lot of people are encouraged to take shit that they might have not, you know, years ago when the fitness industry wasn't so prominent and seen as like a viable way of marketing yourself. So I think it's a consequence of, you know, social media for sure mainly, but also, yeah, like if somebody who is has a sick physique and you see to be your idol, I can imagine that might have some encouraging amount of influence on somebody who's young and impressionable for sure. And then on the other side of the spectrum, it's like, well, do you not, do you let that guy just fuck themselves up by not educating them about if you're going to do it, this is what you have to be mindful of. So you don't end right. up with a heart attack at, you know, 35 or this or that. Cause it's like, are they going to do it anyways? And then should that person just keep it in the dark of what they're doing? It becomes this weird nuanced. Discussion. I, th I think you have set the perfect example for that. Mm. So, if I was to look at your content over the years, there is equal to maybe even more content advocating against the use of steroids yeah. and not just advocating against it, but showing what could happen. Yeah. You have a lot of guys, like you've talked about people balding, like hyper fast. You've had, you talked about people getting horrible cystic acne, um, trend the movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, that's fun. Uh, like, you give plenty of examples of, hey, don't do it because, like, you should earn it first type of things. You say, hey, if you're fucking jackass, like, this shit's going to fuck you up. And here you go. Yeah. Right? You have you've said that. You've also said that you have taken steroids and you've made a ton of mistakes. Mm -hmm. Don't make the mistakes that I do if you decide to. You've also opened a clinic where you promise that the people in this clinic are going to advocate uh, not against the use of steroids or any sort of hormones, but they're going to, they're going to try and get you healthy. It's health first. Yeah. And sometimes getting healthy does involve hormones. Right. But oftentimes it doesn't. So just yeah. having that balanced approach whereby you are taking a broad spectrum approach from a preventative health standpoint or preventative medicine standpoint to address deficiencies and balances, uh, lifestyle, I don't know, just things that you are overlooking that's low hanging fruit before you start to just jump into the realm of replacing hormones for the rest of your life. Like there is definitely, and this is why education I feel like again is so important because you might otherwise just think I need TRT because I had a 250 nanogram per deciliter test level on one blood test. And it's mm -hmm. one snapshot in time from potentially a multitude of factors that contributed to this one snapshot in time looking very suboptimal and perhaps you would do not need it. And I've seen a lot of guys get on TRT haphazardly because they went to a place that otherwise just looks at a number and then makes a prescription accordingly right. or just cares about selling you medications or whatever. And having that balanced approach, I think is critical, but also understanding it when you go in. So, you know, if you're getting finessed by a clinic or whatever, that wants to sell you. Shit. Yeah. Like yeah. you need to understand, like, do I even medically need this? Would I benefit from it? Is it advantageous? Is it even supportive of my health or counterproductive right now? Like, what am I even doing? Like, I, it sounds fucked up because you want to go to a medical provider who you can trust to inform you of things from scratch. And it's part of the reason why you pay for such like premium services. But I think there is some level of due diligence that needs to be done on your own too, to kind of have like an idea, an educated sort of broad spectrum cursory overview, at least of what's going on. So you, cause you need to be able to, to, to discern high quality information and education from what could otherwise just be 
like a marketing driven, I don't know. Like, I'm not trying to say that, you know, not all clinics are bad. Like there are a lot that are doing right. all the right, right. things. Um, and this isn't even just about clinics. It's also just about not fucking yourself up, right. you know? And knowing, because a lot of people are going to self-replace TRT, like, on their own. They're going to yeah. use UGL UG, shit. Yeah. They're going to use gear. They're not going to involve doctors because it's far more cost-prohibitive to use pharma-grade stuff. So they will go, you know, the UGL route and cost, you know, one-fifth, one-tenth the price mm-hmm. and get their own blood work and try and, you know, diagnose it themselves. And I'm not suggesting to do it without a doctor, but it's just having as much education going into anything to do with manipulating yeah. your body's, like, the chemistry in your body is, like, fucking critical in my opinion. Like, you couldn't know enough. Even if you're going to an expert, like, I've gone to experts that I thought were experts, and they ended up saying, like, nonsensical things sometimes. Right, and they get, they don't give you a big blood panel to do or... Yeah. yeah. I think, um, you know, you talk about broad spectrum, but you could look at it from a content standpoint, mm. covering three bases, let's say it is. One is talking openly about steroid use. Then warning people of the problems maybe giving examples yeah and then the third one would be like education and you need to do all of those uh if you are and and i think that's that's the thing is like we talk about the rock chris hemsworth people that have been accused in in the past of being on steroids it's like are they able to provide that to everyone in in a good way and if they can't is it a net good for them to talk to say that they're taking steroids? And that's the thing. That's the ethical yeah. dilemma. Yeah. Right. Yeah, is it, it gets it, more conflated when they sell something that's based on their physique and blah blah blah. Right. It's, it's weird. Like I don't know the answer either. Sometimes it's uh, it's convoluted. That's that's the philosophical issue. It's like what's what's the harm in being open about steroid use? Well, if you're not prepared to give every bit of information and package it the right way, where you can tell people all these different things to cover, yeah. you could do more harm potentially. And there's a decent argument to be made. I think that's a, it's a scary thing to think about. It's, it, yeah. it's, it's not scary. It's just, it's, uh, it, it puts you in a little bit of a, a quagmire, a little bit of a quandary, as they say. Um, let's see here. Oh, okay. So you are like, from my interactions with you, you are like very much a businessman. Mm-hmm. But because my f- initial interactions with you, and I've had this with other people who have been content creators, I saw you as a creator. Mm-hmm. I saw you as somewhat of like an artist. Um, That's flattering. I did, well, I did, <laughs> because it's like you, you, you create and then yeah. you display and people watch. But knowing you now and knowing that you have these businesses, it's like I could be podcasting you being like, how do I do this about business and all that? What was your balance in that? Like when you started your YouTube channel, was it like, hey, look, I have these ideas for these products. I want to be able to explain them. Or was it like, I'm good at explaining this thing. I want to start a product. It was more because, again, when you start, there's no chance you have the financial resources to create something from scratch and hire employees and do this and that like you very likely are starting with like i think i started online with like a hundred bucks i had i i bought my computer and then after that computer purchase i had maybe a couple hundred bucks left so from there like it's not like you're going to create a product or do anything and you have no influence because you have no following yet 
So you're very much just making content about what you feel to be interesting. You have unique insight on. You're somebody who's actually follow worthy for that information. Mm -hmm. um, stuff you enjoy, ideally, so it's sustainable. Um, and maybe down the line, and this is very much what I did, anything that I was talking about that was monetizable as a product that I actually used, believed in, felt had utility for most of the people who follow my stuff, et cetera, you would see if they have, you know, an affiliate program or something. Right. And then could you be a sponsor for them or a, have an affiliate link that would, you know, give you a kickback or something. And in general, it would be like, what stuff I already use and can you get, you know, a 10% commission for putting that, by the way, guys, like this is the one I use. And then you would put a link to it or whatever. Right. But the disclaimer is, you know, like I use it, but it doesn't necessarily mean this is the only one that works or anything like that. This is why I believe it to be superior. Um, and fortunately, there's so many companies with affiliate programs that it's really hard to put on somebody that they're biased because they have an affiliate thing. Cause it's like, you could otherwise typically if like, again, I guess this is not the, the flexibility when you first start maybe necessarily, but typically you can go sign up for any other company's affiliate program if you wanted to, if you were a valuable, valuable enough resource. So it's not like, Oh, I'm heavily biased to this one thing. Cause you could otherwise just go affiliate for right. the same product somewhere else. Yeah. So in general, like, I feel like most people, how they start and how they can start to monetize is um, stuff they already use and truly believe in. And it, be, it comes off if, you, if you're lying, too. Like, it's pretty obvious to tell who's authentic and actually uses the shit they use, at least in my opinion. Right. I think for the most part it is. Because um, you see people plug dumb shit, like, all the time. Like, right. oh, buy this mobile game that I don't even play or whatever. Yeah, dude. And it's like, shut But up. But it's like... But again, uh, it, it's just like, you know, you if you support that person too, then maybe you just tune out and you're like, oh, good for them. Like, you're making money on yes. it. Yes. I, 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 I'm that route knowing that, like, the money struggles can be hard f for being a creator. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so that's fair, AdSense, sure. is, AdSense isn't that great. Mm -hmm. And if someone offers you, like, a whole month's AdSense or, you know, mm. in, for a 30-second clip, it sounds pretty great. And, like, people got to accept the fact that people need to make money. Yeah. I, and and I don't think you're being insensitive to that at all. Yeah, that's why I, I, I quickly put in right, that premise. Right, right, yeah. yeah. I, I know that you're not. I, yeah. But what I think is, like... Um, but I, I would be highly doubtful anybody off the bat could be creating their own products unless they were a highly influential person or had, like, family money to work with or whatever. Like yeah, it's, it's typically not the case. So, but did you have the idea for Gorilla Mind, or or you're like, I'm going to start this, build this, and then I'm going to do a product, or was it like I might as well do a product while I'm here? No, I was uh, asked by my current business partner now, who I had known for like five or six years prior. Yeah, he knew my knowledge of supplementation, pharmacology, and my interest in it, and continuing to stay up to date with research and literature. Something he was less interested in staying up with. Because he was already had one successful business and then was very interested in getting a nootropic product created. He said, hey, can you formulate this for me? I said, sure. He's like, we should, you know, start this company. That's how Gorilla Mind came to be, essentially, is that that was the first product. It was Gorilla Mind Rush and Gorilla Mind Smooth. One was a stimulant-based nootropic. One was non-stim. And, um, yeah, it sort of just came from that. He just came to me. He trusted my opinion and 
that's it it was like i don't know like two or three years into online work. okay so it's not like it was an off the bat thing that i planned ahead on right it just sort of like naturally came to me which isn't a normal thing to have a friend who has business experience who trusts your opinion so much that he would ask you to partner with him on creating a product so it's yeah. not necessarily like a a step-by-step -step that i would say is a, blu a blueprint because it's not yeah. typical but in general, I think a lot of people, the the step-by-step -step that a lot of people could otherwise relate to and follow um, is the whole, you know, if they wanted to be a creator, this is kind of what I would do personally, is very much starting with stuff you feel to be impactful, you're passionate about, you're educated about, you have a unique insight on, and then from there, um, promoting stuff you actually believe in and use yeah. and trying to get... Um, like often these companies will ignore you too. Like I promoted stuff that I never make a dollar on because I just use it. Yeah. Or you'll put up an Amazon link, even though, you know, it's like a 2% affiliate commission or whatever, because you would rather plug that than a shitty thing that you get nothing on that you don't even use. Yeah. Yeah. Or like the, like in general with Amazon, the commission structure is like so pitiful, but if you actually use that product, it would be more rewarding often the ROI to like, people can tell when you're fucking lying is like right. what i'm trying to say yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not just word. you're not just promoting yeah yeah like you don't want to be like well i like like for example i don't know uh like this ketoconazole shampoo that we just started selling recently like i've been using ketoconazole shampoo for hair loss since before my channel even started you know if you had a company come to you and offer you like some i don't know massive amount and their shampoo is shittier and you're it's opinion. not as good as the one that you were using yeah yeah thing. like you kind of like i guess again it could come down to the the roi on if you need money or not so maybe you know who am i to judge but in general i think the longevity of picking stuff that actually aligns with what you use and recommend resonates more and will ultimately give you the longevity to transition into high impact recommendations that people trust you on when you come out with your own product. Yeah. Because if you dilute your recommendation so significantly by just plugging whatever the fuck, you're sort of on the long, long tail side of things, forward thinking, you might be diluting the impact of your recommendations a bit. I, I can't think of the saying uh, off offhand, but it's like the guy who doesn't speak as much usually has more value. Or, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of the same thing as like if you are constantly peddling shit. Yeah, like, like I don't it's know. It's hard you, to for people to take anything that you peddle seriously. Yeah, like I don't know about you, but podcasters that have dedicated ad reads where they script it and they just hammer them out because they're obligated to. Mm -hmm. I tune out. Like I don't even. I know at that point they're saying it for the sake of saying it, yeah. rather than because they actually also believed in it too. I don't know. It's kind of because again sometimes. People on camera might just talk like that. It's, yeah. kinda, it's hard to say for certain, it's, but. Look, the the idea of advertisement in general is like hammer this image, hammer this thing into people's brains, regardless if they tune out or not. Hmm. If I say car insurance, you're going to be like Geico. Yeah. Doesn't mean that like that commercial was effective. Maybe it was funny, yeah. but like you didn't go purchase Geico yeah. when you saw that commercial. But when, now you know if you're going to look online for car insurance, you're probably going to. Mm -hmm. See what Geico has to offer. I don't know, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that that is shitty, but it's effective. But what we're asked to as creators is like, we need to provide a metric. So it's like, they don't want us to just display their ads. They yeah. want to now track how much we sell. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately like one of the hardest things for me is like, just getting, you know, if I have a video with 100,000 views from people who actually went out of their way to watch it and then... 
I had an uh, unskippable ad play for them. That's some value right there. But because they have the ability now to determine whether people clicked and bought their product, they say that, oh, that's not a good, that's not ROI positive to them. Yeah. That's just one of the issues that I've had with with brands in the past. At least fortunately, what I can say and I feel to be likely the case for the longevity of a creator in terms of monetization is when you actually use something and care about it and you genuinely have it in your life or have otherwise vetted it and used to use it and believe in it or whatever, typically you will convert better than the guy who is doing it just for the money which will then typically be a disproportionately better ROI for even the company sponsoring you. Yeah. Because I've seen massive, massive, massive fitness influencers who suck, like terrible at selling because they didn't really believe fully in what they were doing or otherwise didn't actually use the products they talk about or whatever. Yeah. And might have given the impression that was like, I don't know, a little bit too over-exaggerated or just, I don't know, just came across as a little bit fake or phony in what they're saying. And then individuals who are just very relatable, they only talk about what they actually use themselves or believe in, they convert heavily. But, you know, it's a, again, it's like a, if you, you need to support yourself too. So it's just like, it's a weird. It's a tough game. Yeah. All right. So you and I made a, a vlog. Yeah. And in it, we were talking, you, you asked me if I ever wanted to be down in single digit body fat. Right. And I said, I would go insane. And if I did go to single digit body fat, I would look like, I mean, everyone would say, wow, Zach, do you even lift? It's like the only time I've ever been called big is now currently. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I feel kind of fat to be honest with you. Yeah. Probably around 18% body fat. And I said, there was one time where I was like, I would say 12, maybe 11, maybe 10% body fat. Uh, and I like had like nice visible abs. There were like certain striations in places, but to everyone on the internet, I was a skinny, do you even lift guy to everyone in the fitness industry who has skewed expectations. Yeah. Well, I guess the internet that surrounds the fitness industry, yeah, maybe yeah. they don't work there, but they consume the fitness industry. Yeah. And then I said, for me, that was good. And you're like, funny how you said for me Yeah. yeah. when it should be for everyone. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah, because objectively, if you're, you know, in top shape, you're down to t- – like, that's not a, a normal thing to be walking around at. Like, what do you weigh? So right now I'm way heavy. So, like, at that time, I was probably, like, 215 and, like, really felt solid. Felt, yeah. Yeah, felt awesome. But, again, people were calling me a skinny Yeah, it's not, dork. Like, it's not like you're 160 pounds or something. Right. At your height, proportionally, because, again, it's not yes. like 160 is bad for some people, obviously. And again, it does, it's all subjective at the end of the day. Like even my my view has been scaled back over the years as I've started to downsize more and care way less about bodybuilding and stuff. But I used to have this fucked up view too where I'd see a guy who was on a men's physique stage or something and he looks insane by any person's standards. He is the top 0.00001% physique. And then it's like, well, that guy's back sucks or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just like... Like fuck, Dude, <laughs> like, but, but the, the problem is that's the it's melting into everyday society in in a smaller way. But like the prevalence of TikTok and TikTok fitness and like how young that is, yeah, and like just people just being able to comment and say things about like the way people look. Mm-hmm. And this is again towards geared towards men. Like this has happened to women since the dawn of time, you know. Yeah. But our our skewing of what is good and what is bad 
I think obviously we could say drug use. That's the one like, oh, we, well, we don't want to compare drug like enhanced lifters to natural lifters because that creates a, you know, a false understanding of what's possible. But I also think that the curation of photos from natural lifters, getting mm-hmm. the right lighting, getting all these things, like that's a big effect on it as well. And it's much, much more prevalent now. Yeah, it's wild how people don't understand the differences between basic lighting still and pumps yeah like you'll see for example david late i guess one of the at least now i believe him to be natural probably but you know it's not to speak about his past but anyways now he very much is one of the most aesthetic you know perceived to be natural guys and has incredible muscle insertions has like a crazy uh his six-pack is dialed from like a insertions aspect like everything looks really really good and when you see him pumped in perfect lighting, et cetera, it's like, oh, this guy's the most jacked fucking guy ever. But then you see him in a shirt just walking around or hanging out, just walking around in broad daylight. Like, oh. He just looks like a healthy guy. Yeah. It's yeah. just like a fit person, you know? Mm-hmm. You don't think of him in that context. And it's just surprising how people who are so entrenched in this industry still fall for that and will look at the downlit, heavily pumped, perfectly manipulated sharpened fucking image of a guy and be like, oh, why don't you look like that now? Even though it could have been 20 minutes ago and now you're walking around outside. I mean, if if I'm perfectly honest with you, like it for sure has weighed on me a lot. Mm. It hurts. Uh, I mean, it not hurts, but it's just, it sucks because you want to, you, like I'll show up to places and I'll do, um, I've done like plenty of collabs with people and it's like, I just don't fit in. Like I don't I'm I'm not a big guy like in that way. I'm big and that I'm tall and lately I've put on a lot of mass but it's a decent amount of fat. Mm. Um but like it's just it's hard. You know, I want to I want to kind of be like that a little bit. You want the 3D muscle insertions. The thing too is like I know that that's I know that I still don't work hard enough to be there. Like I could, I could take everything and put it into it, but I just don't know if I want to do that. So it's like, maybe I'm digging my own grave. You think you don't work hard enough to get that? Or do you think it's just your standard for what is good? And I don't know the answer to that. I would imagine it's your standard. Cause like, as long as you're, how much do you train each week? Like you're pretty Every day. Con- <laughs> and you train hard from what I've seen. Yeah. So what the fuck more can you do besides if you're skipping literal meals and not sleeping? I mean, that's probably, I could be better. I could be better at nutrition. I could be better at sleep for sure. And to find better. Is that like eating less to look leaner? So it physically, yeah, maybe that's the case too. Yeah. yeah. Or like, yeah. You know, it's, it's a hard thing when it's like, am I doing everything I could? Maybe I could do more. Maybe I could do more. Or like maybe the standard that I'm trying to meet is just ridiculous. Maybe. I I can't tell. What do you consider good? Like, if you look at a physique and you're like, that is a great physique that you would aspire to be. It's it's tough. I honestly think that, like... Well, you must have some standard that you're proportionally comparing yourself to to even come to the conclusion that you're suboptimal. You know what's crazy is, like, I would like to look like some of the guys who weigh 220 pounds that are my height. Okay. And yet when I weigh 220 pounds at my height, yeah. I look like a fucking twink. 
<laughs> you know? Okay. And so that's like 64220 is big for a lot of people. Yeah. For me, that was the smallest I've been in a long time. And I competed in jujitsu. So it was like, I can show you a picture. You know what? Let's do that. I'll show you a picture. And it was like leading up to jujitsu. Uh, I had to be 217 pounds. Um, and it was coming off of weightlifting where like I, in weightlifting, I was weighing, you know, 230 all the way up to 260 for mm-hmm. weightlifting. And so that stark change into, uh, I got to scroll down here for that. That stark change into then, you know, uh, being 220 was big for me. And people, it's weird when you get into the fighting world, like 220 is fucking massive. Mm-hmm. Like every dude in the gym is 170 or yeah. like lighter, you know? Like even the tall guys are really, really light. So I switched to training a, like mainly jujitsu. So this is me doing L-sit pull-ups, right? Like that's- You look great. Yeah. And the thing is though, like in those people would just be like, do you even lift? And I know that's just stupid. I shouldn't, I shouldn't listen to their- you know, it's like I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. And I guess... Like, I guess when you're making content about lifting and then people are comparing you to the premier cream of the crop people who have the most virality, because ultimately the Im- individuals you see the most of are the most viral, best physical representations of what inspires you. So, yeah. like, you're going to be hammered with those kinds of physiques on your Explore page and the people you're following. So you're just used to that and those, standard. And the people that watch those are used to it and they see my arms and they're like, what mm. the hell? Like, you look tiny. I guess I'm just going to have to fucking deal with that. For Like, this, I felt so, like, just good. I felt I felt like there's a, it's a 50-kilo dip, you know? Yeah. And I felt really good, but, like, you I know, you look good. skinny-ass arms, like... I bet you in different circumstances it could look much better versus, like, like there are so many different ways you can manipulate this shit. Like, it's not like you're trying to look, like, have the most optimal downlighting or, like, circumstance there. You're just doing an exercise. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm, I think after this bulk or whatever, and I'm trying to do this movie. I don't know if I've told you about this. We're, we're making a narrative feature film on weightlifting. I think you might have mentioned it. And I'm acting in it. Oh. And I'm supposed to be playing a weightlifter. Mm-hmm. And the problem is I'm six foot four. So and a lot of weight. <laughs> and there, and no, and a lot of weightlifters are, you know, six feet at the tallest in that weight class, in that weight category. So in order to look like I'm big, right, right. I have to be a lot bigger. Hmm. Right. So right now I'm around I think I would say I'm closer to two fifty body weight. Yeah. And I, and like you can see in this top picture, I just posted it today before I posted the picture with you and I, like I'm starting to now look like a weightlifter would. I've, you know, I've got some chunk around the belly, but like this is, this is the physique that I would like to go for for that film. Mm-hmm. And I'm finally there and we're shooting in two months or whatever. After that, I want to go back to feeling athletic and, yeah. you know, being sub 220. What's your appetite like when you try to go leaner? It's actually higher. Like like as in because I'm I do a ton more cardio. Mm-hmm. I do a ton more jujitsu. Like, like I would expect your I appetite to be you eat more. Yeah. Oh, so you increase your energy expenditure any energy expenditure yeah. so significantly that you can e- It's maybe I don't eat more. Like 
I feel like I'm hungrier more. Right. Um, not because I'm starving myself, but it's just like. Well, you're in a deficit. I'm just like moving. It feels like I'm just pumping through things more, if that makes sense. Like, like um, now it's like I could not eat or I could eat. But once I get started eating now, 2,000 calories easy. Hmm. Just fucking I can hammer food until I'm. You ate pretty late last night. I know. Yeah. But, you even left a piece of your steak, bro. What was up with that? Well, <laughs> you're fucking calling me out on the fucking. <laughs> I'm a big eater, okay? Fuck you. Uh, no, I, I, it's like, um, I'll snack. Okay. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do things where it's like, okay, that's where you're getting your calories. There's a lot of people. You say, okay, well, the only way to do this is to be in a deficit, right? Yeah. As far as we're, <laughs> we know. Uh, there's this guy, Bart K. I don't know if you've seen him. He's been, oh yeah. He yeah. lit up, do set a few times. Yeah. But, but he's, not he's like a fucking actually. idiot. Uh, yeah. That guy, yeah. I would gladly just call him an idiot. Cause he's so vitriolic and so fucking rude about like things he doesn't have to be. Wasn't he on Mark Bell too? Yeah. Yeah. How'd that go? I don't know. I, oh no. You know what? I think Encima was like pushing back on him and he was just mm. like, I got to ask Encima more about it. I would it. imagine the comments are all just shitting on the guy. Y- yeah. Um, likely deservedly so. But anyways, as far as we're concerned, calories in versus calories out. And a lot of times people say, well, I'm like tracking all my calories and like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and and nothing's happening. It's like, well, you did forget about that like one time where you snuck up and had like 3,000 calories on accident. You know, you just like happened to have like five pieces of cake because you were hungry. But then the next three days you were okay, right? Mm -hmm. That's So I do a lot of stuff like that, but I don't care because I'm trying to gain weight. I feel like though when I'm like moving around a lot and I'm and I'm not like actively really cutting, I'm just being healthier and just more f- just moving more. I feel like that is where I my my appetite goes up and it just the timing of when I eat is better and, and yeah. all these things are better. So now your body just works better when you are constantly moving and like actually facilitating the assimilation of the nutrients and whatnot. Yeah. So show me a picture of a physique that you think is good. I'm interested. Hmm. Gotta be putting someone. Me in the, putting me in the fucking spot. You're the only one you wanted to talk about physiques. I you? know. Um, help me here. Uh, who's help you? I have no idea. You tell me. I don't know what your standards are. I don't know, dude. I don't know. There's gotta be someone who's in the realm of think, what you find to be. I think, dude, six four two twenty with visible muscle like like muscle that so no one would be like you don't do you even lift if that's even a possibility because like i've like i said i've been 6'4 220 and if it's possible to like look like i lift so you're talking about some guys in like the nfl maybe yes yes okay yep or or because i feel like those guys resemble probably the target body fat you would feel to be more representative of what you'd walk around at as opposed to the fitness industry like nine percent perpetually sort of thing yes and these guys are like heavily muscled looking but not like fucking streamlined fitness model-esque yes. kind of thing i think and they're taller. but again when i say that's like an aesthetic that i aspire to be i guess i just don't aspire to be like that i just i just i don't know it's confusing because again you, you basically what we're both saying is that the comment section who's saying do you even lift bro they're so fucking swayed mm-hmm. they're so their mind like Everything's so twisted and it's no, so when dark. You see and they're somebody anonymous. on a video, it's not really representative of what even they look like in real life. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like usually, I imagine when people walk up to you, you even said people yes. are like, oh, they're like, shit. holy shit, you're way bigger. And like, 
I, I will say this in recent videos, people are like starting to kind of think, say that I'm a lot bigger, mm. but I've never been this size before. But now you're worried to cut because they put that in your head. I know. <laughs> I'm just going to say, fuck it, dude. Like I'm yeah. at a, when I cut and I don't look big, yeah. I'm just going to be like, look, this is the deal. I, I want to, I want to be happier. <laughs> Genuinely. I just want to be happier. I think what you bring to the community at large is beyond if you're cutting or bulking or the physique you're posting on Instagram. Right. Right. So I wouldn't worry too much about that perception yeah. at all. All right. On that, we're going to finish it. Thank you, dude. Seriously. Thank you for doing this. I know it's been a busy week and it's, yeah. no, your, and thank your you brain's for, uh, been fried and yeah, for everything and helping create that awesome content as well as shout out to Alex and thanks for hosting me. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it and found some value or humor or whatever from it. Entertainment. Yeah. And yeah. See you guys. The king of outros. <laughs> <laughs>